Welcome to episode 107 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. I am so close to being an overnight success, 10 years in the making. The first time I was paid to speak was in 2009. I left my career at the very end of 2014 to pursue speaking as a business. I started this weekly podcast in 2016, and it now has over 100 episodes. I published a book in 2017 that has nearly 200 reviews worldwide. I launched the pilot of my online coaching program in 2017, and in 2018, rebranded it the MORE program for entrepreneurial women. And MORE stands for money, opportunities, referrals, and engagement. I'm working on a second book this fall focused on meeting the needs of my ideal client, an entrepreneurial woman in her 50s. My speaking fees have been steadily climbing over the years, and recently I've been asking for and receiving fees that would have seemed impossible two years ago. And until today... I was also working towards launching a second podcast about parents who invented a product that solved the problem they experienced as parents. What? Yeah, I was so, so excited about this new show. See, I'm a parent and an entrepreneur, and I'm really into the backstory of the products I use with my children. As I met more people in the world of inventors, I confirmed my suspicion that there would be an audience for this new show, and with effort, several possible revenue opportunities. It was what they call a blue ocean, an uncontested market space, and I had visions of helping aspiring parent founders discover each other and finding ways to help them along their inventor journey. I rationalized how this fit in with everything else I was doing. My angle wasn't teaching manufacturing and marketing. It was focused on mindset and relationship building, just like the rest of my business, and in particular, my online coaching program. So why did I decide to stop pursuing this passion project? It's hard to admit. I had an honest conversation with my coach and realized that while I had established a really strong foundation for my business over the last few years, I didn't have a clear vision for what came next. It was easier to pursue this fun passion project than to buckle down and do the work to get my business to the, quote, next level. But letting myself be distracted is a disservice to myself and to you. I owe it to us both to do the hard work of creating and iterating programs and services that can help you achieve your business goals. I owe it to my future audiences to keep hustling to book speaking engagements where I can share how to build relationships not just a network. I'm going to do what I would tell any of my clients to do. Get focused, get the support I need to achieve greater things, set audacious goals. Your challenge for this week. Are you really close to achieving a big goal, but instead of staying focused and making it across the finish line, you keep finding ways to distract yourself? You may be fearing success. Take stock of what is pulling your energy away from achieving your big goal. Is it truly a great use of your time? Or is it a way to busy yourself with a project that feels more clear and achievable than the murky progress you've been making towards your big goal? What results would you have if you redirected all that energy 
back towards your big goal. Time to have an honest moment with yourself and make a decision. Don't let your fear of success stop you from achieving great things. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest believes that communication and connection are the foundation of everything. She is known for energetic, engaging, and authentic presentations as an expert on workplace communications and relationships. She's an accomplished speaker, trainer, coach, and the author of several books, including the internationally recognized one called The 11 Laws of Likeability, which has been translated into nine languages and used by universities, Fortune 500 companies, and associations around the world. Her next book, The Connectors Club, will be available in March 2019. She's appeared on TV and radio shows across the country and was named by Forbes as one of the 25 professional networking experts to watch in 2015. Her mission is to help people communicate and lead with confidence, clarity, and connection. Please join me in welcoming Michelle Tills Letterman. Hello. <laughs> Michelle, thank you so much for joining me from your office in Northern New Jersey. I am so glad you're here. I'm, I'm thrilled to be connected. Uh, we got connected because of this book that you're, you're working on, which I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about. Um, but I wanted to just get your sense of this because the show is about um, leadership and building great networks. So let's start by getting a sense of what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Realizing I had the skills to lead is a bizarre question to me. Um, <laughs> I think we're all leaders. I think leadership is a mindset. I think leadership is an approach to how you conduct yourself and your work and your interactions. And I think that we are all leaders. The skills that it takes to be a good leader or having decided that I have those is, is not something I think we decide. I think we all have innate skills to be leaders. It's just a matter of which ones we choose to leverage. Mm -hmm. So early on when you uh, were a youngster, were you the kind of kid who organized people in the playground or ran for student body <laughs> or, or, or were you more the quiet one who just sort of, I don't think you were the quiet one who just I was never the quiet one. I was never <laughs> to be the quiet one, but I also wasn't the one who would run for student body because the idea of giving a speech was like, why would anybody want to do that? I, I mean, that was just an awful thought to me to have to give or write a speech. Uh, I did like to be the director um, I might be a little bit uh, controlling or high strung and all that left brain type A stuff uh, definitely came out. <laughs> yeah. So did people see something in you about your ability to then do that? And we're, you know, because clearly if you're doing that, people start to follow you. That's one definition of leadership is that you have followers. So, you know, did that sort of carry forward? Did someone sort of tap you on the shoulder one day and say like, you should really take charge of this project? Or were you always sort of the one who stepped forward when you saw an absence and a need for that person to take direction? A little of both. You know, and it's funny, recently I was at a conference and, uh, you know, 100, 200 people in the room, about 10 or so people at a table, and they wanted people to pick a table captain. And, you know, everyone just kind of sat there and nobody volunteered and nobody looked at everybody. And so the speaker said, okay, in a minute, I'm going to tell everybody to point to the leader of your table. And, you know, maybe we're an hour into the day and all of a sudden all the fingers are pointing at me. And I was like, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so I do think that there are um, confidence qualities, comfort qualities, the willingness to speak up, um, how you carry yourself in your body that gives people an indication that not only, um, you know, are you comfortable, um, but you're capable. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, think, I think sometimes we just put that out there 
and sometimes without intention, but it's just kind of innate. Yeah, it's kind of how you carry yourself. I, I love this. Like, and I love that in that moment, an hour into a program, people saw that already in you without knowing a lot about you. They just, from what they witnessed already, right, in that, in that time together. Um, so you weren't the one who ran for student body. Or I, I wasn't either. I actually tried once. I tried in like, I don't know what grade, like eighth or ninth grade. I don't think I've talked about this. And it's such a popularity contest. And I just wasn't a popularity kind of kid. You know, I wasn't either. yeah, but I got a lot done by, I actually tapped the student government council people to make posters for, for an event that I was running. <laughs> so, so I knew how to like get them to organize around my issues. So working outside the system early on was something I learned really quickly. Um, it's interesting that you say that because I wasn't the popularity person either. I wasn't, you know, always at that group or that table, but I was always friends with that group or that table, as well as the other tables. There was never a group that I couldn't go over and talk to. Um, you know, and if you think of all those traditional groups within uh, a high school setting, you've got your jocks and your, you know, your popular kids, you've got your uh, kind of the goth group. You, <laughs> You're so dating yourself, but I love it. It's total. I totally recognize. So actually, you're uh, you and I share that. I, I, that's something I've I've sort of uh, always observed about myself too. And I've had a few guests come on and say, you know, this sort of chameleon, able to like float between groups, have friends at all these different groups. It's sort of interesting that you and I also identify with this connector piece because I do think there's something there about this willingness, this openness to other people who aren't exactly like you. But did you feel in the moment when you were in school that that was a plus that you were able to float around? Or did you feel like, oh gosh, there's no one here that's that's like my people? That's an interesting question. I did, you know, I did have a group that were the people you sat with at lunch, right? You know, you had your lunch table and those are maybe the people that you hang out with uh, on a Saturday night. Um, I never thought of that, about it either way, but if I reflect now, I think um, it increased my comfort being able to navigate it. Um, it was, it tapped my curiosity of, you know, I don't want to be uncomfortable, so I'd rather know you. And I remember even in camp situations where I entered a bunk late and there's already these formed cliques. And because I was part of the side of the bunk of one type of clique, they assumed a certain type of behavior to, of me. And later they said, we just thought you were going to be another one of those. You're actually really nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, because I treated everybody similarly. Yeah. Yeah. So you can see now, fast forwarding to adulthood, how that's a quality that most people are not even, they're not even aware of it enough to aspire to it. But for you, it's innately a part of who you are. And it's such a benefit. Funny. I really never thought about it. You're like bringing all this memories up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's true though, but like this way of sort of being in the world, this like, you know, like curiosity, but not like in a, you know, I want to examine you kind of way, but like openness, curiosity of getting to know people and valuing who they are. Like it's that's like something you know, you've the mindsets of my next book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it totally is. It is no wonder that you were drawn to, to write about this kind of thing. I mean, your 11 laws of likability, which is, is that your first book? That was my first book. That's amazing that like that is the book that took off because I know for for the like, people who are just starting writing, like the first book is usually the way you sell a first book is by writing a second and a third. <laughs> <laughs> so you did that too because they're good for you. Like you did, do, <laughs> you did the requisite like follow up work. But um, 
tell me a little bit about what drew you to even write a book about the 11 laws of likability. Probably because I didn't think I was very likable. You know, to be perfectly honest, I I tell a story about uh, an experience I had my first semester teaching at NYU and the discomfort I felt when I was talking about intent. Why am I here? And what am I trying to accomplish this semester? And a student was like, for us to like you. And I'm thinking, no, I don't care. As if like, you know, that was this awful thing. And it really bothered me that I crushed this poor kid, (laughs) basically saying like, I don't care if you like me or not. And of course I cared. We all care. We all want to be liked, but yet we're uncomfortable admitting that and feel weak because we have a desire to be liked. And so I started to think about the fact that I always believed I was a bit polarizing. You you love me or you cannot stand me. And there wasn't a lot of gray area in between. And I wanted to understand why I was so polarizing. And I wanted to understand what drove likability and what created connection. And so when I wrote The 11 Laws of Likeability, it wasn't to make somebody like you because you cannot. It was to recognize that we are all likable. We have to enable others to see those likable pieces of ourselves. And those pieces are going to be different from one person to the next of what they deem likable and to understand what drives it. Mm-hmm. And so that's really where that book came from. And the follow-up, which is The Connectors Club coming out in March, is a different twist. And and my brother-in-law said, well, what's the difference between networking and connecting? And I said, networking is something that you do. A connector is someone that you are. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. And I love also this introspection, this journey that you're on, the way you're able to sort of really dive in to your own understanding of that polarizing attributes. Like I can think of some people in my circle that I took like now I love them to death, but <laughs> I know why they're, they put people off. Like I, and I know that it's, but I also know that, that that's part of why I'm like, you're just a good person. Cause like, I just, you know what I mean? There's sort of this weird dichotomy where I have to like get past the fluff and the, what's well, not even fluff. It's the opposite of fluff. It's a, it's like this really extreme mask of like protection in a way sometimes. Right. And so the, but the people who get you, get you. And, that, and for me, I'm always thinking about like, who are my people and how do I find them? Particularly when I go to big events, you know, my, my book was about conferences because you, you're like in this space with like thousands of people and you're like, oh gosh, is this a space for me? And I think similarly, it's like, well, anyone like me? Could have been my question, right? Like a very similar question. It's just, diff, you know, different way of asking it. So I, I think this is great. Like what, what made you think though that you had something in you to write a book? Because... I, I know a lot of people who talk about it. I think there's the the quotes like 82% of people in the US like want to write a book and 1% has like something like that. So wow. I didn't realize. Yeah. I feel like everybody has a book now. <laughs> yeah, well, in your circle perhaps, but it's a big deal. So again, like kind of going back to leadership, why did you think that your voice was something that needed to be heard? Your, your, you had value. Like what led you to think like I have... I have something to share on this topic. I actually uh, took a long time to get there. Uh, I had always wanted to write a book, and I don't know if it's because of um, legacy and mortality or you know, proof that I was here, all that stuff, or it was um, the fact that I come out of training, right? So if we go way back, I'm a recovering CPA, right? So I spent 10 years in finance, and then I started this transition into what was more fulfilling to my heart. And so I'm, I'm out there, I'm with people, I'm, I'm doing these things, and people would come up to me and give me feedback at the end. 
and I would hear it. And one of the programs I taught was called The Natural Networker. And it was back at the MoMA, uh, the Museum of Modern Art was the client. I'll never forget it. And a guy from the class came up and said, you need to turn this into a book. I had already been dreaming of writing a book. And I had about 10 book ideas. And and when they came up, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I've been thinking. She's like, no, I'm serious. You, you, you need to turn this into a book. And I thought, well, I already have the course. This will be easy. <laughs> ah. And anybody who has thought or tried to write a book knows what a joke that is. Because I was like, oh, well, I already have a full day program on it. Let's just make it a book, you know, uh, three years later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. But you but you're right, like that that belief that there's something that you have in the world. And for for me, it's funny, my turning point, I had been wanting to do it sort of like, yeah, I was, you know, I was a speaker. So like, it felt like a necessary part of the job, but not like, a, I'm itching to do it, but like, I should do this. But Dory Clark wrote about me in her second book, and then went on this like worldwide tour, where I was one of the slides. And people from around the world were writing her and or writing me directly asking if I had a book. <laughs> so you get your book out there. Yeah. You're, you're like, what a missed opportunity. I should have had the book before all that happens. <laughs> um, so, you, so part of it's like being ready for opportunity when the opportunity strikes. Um, so these days um, you're still writing. Are, are you now speaking? You're, you've gotten past your angst about speaking. I, I did. I, I took the class in high school yeah. and uh, I did okay. And then I started taking classes in college. I actually was a writing and a communications minor, along with my accounting major. And uh, I got comfortable with it, but it was never something I really wanted to do. But I certainly increased the skill and comfort. And now it's what I do for a living. (laughs) Right. Isn't that funny? And it just shows you that change is possible. Um, And also that you took action early on to get past your comfort, your discomfort. And a lot of people just stay in their discomfort too. So there's something about that, like the, the, the like wanting to learn, right? And grow. I think a lot of people aren't on a path. They're sort of stuck. <laughs> They're like stuck in one spot. I'm, I'm, I'm literally teaching advanced public speaking skills next week to a group I spoke to about a week ago with foundational skills. Wow. And, and I always share that this wasn't a natural preference for me because I think people believe that you are born this way and you are born liking it or hating it and you're either going to be good at it or you're not and period. And I'm constantly saying, even to my son who um, one of them does not like public speaking or having any attention whatsoever. And he's like, I'm not good at it. And I said, rephrase that. Say I am working on getting better Mm. or I am not good at it yet, Mm -hmm. but not a definitive end of story because that's what we tell ourselves. We tell ourselves the end of the story. Yeah. When well, the same, story is constantly being told. Right. Same thing about writing too, right? People are like, I'm not, I'm not good at, I'm not a good writer. It's like, well, you may not love writing, but I don't know if you're bad at, bad at it. Like you're, you know, like you might <laughs> like it. <laughs> well, for all those people out there who are saying that my first book, I wrote every single word myself in this room of the 11 laws of likability. And I sent it to my publisher and the feedback I got was you write the way you speak. Now, I wanted to make it feel like I was having a conversation with my best friend, and I thought that was a really good feedback. However, I'm very tangential when I speak, (laughs) and I'll give a lot of parentheses and a lot of sidebars, and people have to follow this windy conversation. Ah, yes. And it wasn't positive feedback. (laughs) So I actually did have to hire somebody at the end of the day to help me 
ensure that what I was trying to say was clear. Yep. And it, it, uh, it yes. So it isn't about being a good writer. I think it's about being clear on what you're trying to communicate and you can get people to help you get there. Yeah. And a willingness to hire people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and a willingness to sort of say, here's the parts that I'm really good at. Here are my strengths. And here's the parts that I find challenging or I've gotten feedback that it, maybe I'm not a good, as good at as I thought I was. My mother says it's professional for everything, Michelle. Focus on your core strengths. So God, She is a smart person. Oh my gosh. That's, that's like the best advice in the world though, because too many of us do try to be a master of everything and don't really master the pieces that are ours. And I think that's what you... So what's interesting about the, the thing you've mastered, and because this is kind of like where I ended up in the world too, which is why I find it so fascinating... What we are good at is a thing that most people think of as a sort of a side note, um, a soft skill, mm-hmm. uh, a nice to have, you right. know, not a not a like definitively important to the bottom line of business. You know where I would say I would argue it, it is. Um, I you would argue it is too. Like <laughs> that's I'm going to prove that in chapter one of my next book. <laughs> <laughs> so. When did you realize that this sort of amorphous skill that you had was a skill that you could build a business around? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's different, right? Like, like again, like a lot of people, if you come at them and say, like, "Oh, I, I'm, I help, will help you improve your networking," they're like, "That's nice." They just they they can't see the 16 steps that you and I can see around that. I think you know, you ask these questions as if I knew all of this beforehand, you know, you ask these questions as if we actually think about it and design the life. I I don't know if I was that um, clear along the way. I think I recognized where I was not happy in what I was doing and shifted the function of what I was doing from being in finance to teaching finance because I couldn't get all the way to teach what I wanted to teach because it wasn't yet accepted. They said, well, you're a finance person, teach finance. I said, okay, I'll teach finance. And then proving that skill, I was then able to move into the communications because that wasn't where my career had been, even if I had some education there. So I think a lot of times I don't say, here's where I'm going to be 10 years from now, or even five years from now. I usually only look one year from now because that's something I can take action towards. And so to think about the fact that I was creating a business around this concept of networking, I wasn't. I was being in the function that I wanted and thinking about the next way to grow it. So I might've grown it from the number of clients. I might've grown it from the breadth of the content. I might've grown it from not having a book to having a book, from training to speaking. So it was always about what else can I do to expand this? And it took a long time until probably recently until I realized the platform with which I have built is really about connection. And if I teach public speaking, it's about connecting to your message. And if I teach presence and personal branding, it's about connecting to yourself. And if I teach uh, relationship networking, it's about connecting to your network. So it, it is all about connection, but it's how it impacts different areas of our life that maybe you can understand, right? The relationship-driven leader connecting to your team. You can understand how those things lead to the bottom line because sometimes we have to spoon feed yeah. to understand why this matters. Yeah, you got to walk them to it. Um... I I have been thinking about this a lot because I now have this, I have an online program, the MORE program for entrepreneurial women. And they're, the women that are attracted to this program are not deathly afraid of networking. They're actually willing to do it. They just don't know if they're doing it the best way possible. And they've got, you know, they're at a pivot point in their career. 
they're you know in their 50s, they're launching a book or a podcast, they're like expanding their practice, trying to add speaking or coach, you know, there's some transition. And so they're like, they're coachable and they're ready to learn. But they, when I first tried to advertise it through the lens of networking, they weren't biting. When I made it about business strategy, boom. And then I finally said to them, but here's my lens. Every problem you give me over the next you know, course, or the next program, I'm going to answer through a relationship lens. So like I, you know, relationship building, networking is to me a marketing strategy, a business strategy, a business solution, right? It's just how you solve things. And I, I think what's different about you and I is like we just see that and a lot of people don't. And so it's great that we're able to articulate it because most people who do can't really teach. <laughs> it's fortunate that you're able to both do and teach. <laughs> <laughs> I actually hate the word networking. I really do. My publisher of the first book required the word networking to be in the subtitle because for SEO and searchable and things like that. And I said, but it's really only half about this idea of networking. And they're like, what's the other half? I'm like relationships. So I actually coined the phrase relationship networking Mm -hmm. because if you, I mean, networking has the word work in it. You know, it feels like we're doing something rather than just being someone. And that's the shift I'm constantly trying to make in, in my work is you're always networking. You're always building relationships. You're always, always, always here. Don't think about it as I'm now going to turn the switch and do this thing. You know, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I guess the way I might sum this up is like your your ability to have an impact in the world is largely dependent on your willingness to build an engaged community. Like, if you can wrap your head around that, then then we're going somewhere. To engage with the community, right? So I and here's my tweak to as I'm processing what you're saying. I don't think to be successful and to have impact, you have to create your own community. But I think you have to be able to activate the communities with which you're in and a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think part, yeah, I, it's, I like your tweak. I think that most people probably don't think about the world that they occupy as being like, that's their network. Like they don't have a clear sense of all the different silos that they like move between. So I actually want to hear more about what you do, but in the, in, I want to ask in a particular way, um, what do you find most rewarding about this work? Oh. <laughs> um, the feedback. You know, I always come back to the feedback. I was sharing with somebody that I wrote a blog a week or two ago that got a huge response saying, um, what do I want to, what should I do with my life or something like that? And I couldn't believe how many people responded like, oh my God, this was so timely. Oh my God, I think I need to talk to you again, Michelle. Uh, And what I was saying was, I can't help you figure out what you want to do with your life. You know how long it took me to figure it out for myself? Like, I can't help you. But here's what I can do is I can help you. um, I can share with you the process I went through. And one of the things I went through is thinking about what I needed out of what I do. And I I needed feedback. I needed um, to understand impact. And in finance, you might get your quarterly review, but one, you didn't have any impact that was meaningful or or felt good. Um, And two, most people didn't want you there. So it didn't feel good to show up on a day-to-day basis as the auditor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So understanding that recognition and appreciation and feedback was something that was important to me. Now, 
you know, it's, it's not applause. It's the people who come up to you and say something to you. It's the people who respond to your blog and tell you that it had an impact. It's the people who um, put a review on Amazon. It's the people who make a comment on your LinkedIn, who, you know, read it and felt and thought and put a little effort in to give you information back. So, you know, you're giving some of the good stuff out there and you're, and you're making a difference. Like that's, that's it. I'm good. I'm done. That I hope everyone listening takes that in because it's such an easy gift to offer to anyone who's doing content creation. And you can hear how Michelle gets so excited by it. Like when I asked her, like, what's the reward? That is the reward. And it's true when we're writing and, and preparing our remarks and you know, writing blog posts, all those things, we do it somewhat in isolation. You know, we're in a little bubble and then we put it out into the world and then we wait to see if anything happens. Same thing with, you know, you send your carefully crafted email, you send yes. it out and like, did anyone reply? And it's it's always great. So that's a very easy thing for people to be doing just to start engaging and paying some gratitude forward for the impact people are having in your life. I, I'm curious though about, um, in particular around, around sort of how you sustain connection with not your closest people. Like, you know, you've got your like best friend kind of group, but like that second and third tier out, the people that you might see once a year at a conference, the people that, you know, are maybe in an online community with you, the people that you like, you know, we, we, we like each other, but like, what's the effort? How are you going to like make sure you're sustaining connections with those kinds of people so that they don't just kind of float past you? So one is you have to, you have to be good to yourself. If you try, I mean, if I could show you, like, this is just the recent, you know, pile of business cards on my desk. Um, if I give you the camera over there, it's about this high of business cards. There's no way I'm getting through all of these and that's okay. You know, I give people permission to like, you don't have to hit them all. If it becomes work, you don't do it. There's a way to prioritize and there's a way to make sure that you're hitting some and maybe a little bit more than you did before. Um, I think there's a lot of different tools that we can use and a lot of different mechanisms for what I say, um, increasing the law of familiarity. So in the last section of the book, we talk about what to do after the conversation and how do you um, move from conversation to connection and long-term relationship. And familiarity is an important piece of that. We need to stay in somebody's mind without getting in their face. Ah, I love that line. <laughs> That's so good. So, you know, okay, so let's, let's think about all the different ways we just mentioned. Social media is a great way to increase familiarity. The invitation, I've been in there. Um, our network gives updates. Our name might pop up. We might like something or comment on something. We might participate in a group where we have some of those people so our name pops up. We might do light touches like sending congratulations or regards or a happy birthday. So how do you remember to do those light touches? Do you have a, uh, a time during the week that you stop to think about it or is it more like you see something and you just respond to it in the moment? I am somebody who, when it pops into my head, if I can't do it right then and there, I'll just jot their name in my calendar. Mm -hmm. And... So for somebody like you um, or somebody who might be more of a annual, biannual type of check-in, you know, just keep, keep the warm connection. Uh, it, you know, there might be some social media stuff that happens in between because we're both content creators. But for the most part, it might be a quick email saying, was thinking about you. Hey, here's an update. What's going on with you? And a quick check-in. Yeah. I have a mentor who is like, you know, so high up there professionally that like, he's not gonna have a lot of time for me, but once a year he gets an email update for me and he always responds really fast. And we usually get a one live meeting on the calendar per year. And sometimes it's a year and a half, but we get in person, we chat, we catch up and we go home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, and, that, and that's been over a, de- a dozen years. Wow. That's amazing. So when you, um, when you're traveling for your work, cause I imagine that speaking takes you kind of moving all around way outside of Northern New Jersey. Um, do you attach any, uh, particular effort to your travels to make sure you're seeing people? I actually don't. Um, if, if it's easy, if it's, you know, obvious, I might. All right. So if I'm, I went to Arizona and I had a friend I went to camp with who lived in Arizona. So we had dinner, uh, you know, little things like that. I have, a, I have a cousin who lives in Chicago. I'm speaking in Chicago this summer. And so I'll reach out. Uh, but, but, you know, I actually don't want to be a road warrior. I do travel and I kind of limit it to about once a month because I'm a mom and I don't really want to be away from them more than I need to be. So I'm like, I jump down and I run back, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. so that I'm away as little as possible. Yeah, I could see how those two um, goals can kind of con- conflict with each other. The wanting to get back quickly and having time to actually connect with and engage with people. Um, so do you use any kind of CRM or any kind of systems for keeping track of people or spreadsheets or any anything organized in that fashion? <laughs> You're like, I want a tool to give my people. Uh, I'm just, well, or not. I mean, it's so funny because like I had um, Michael Roderick on and he's a spreadsheet guy, but he has like an extensive spreadsheet of everyone he's ever introduced. And, and I think like connected to the band who created Contactually, which is a CRM who will probably yeah. be on the show at some point as well. Um, I, I think everybody has a system and a system is only what works for you. Whether you use a tool that's out there or you create your own, I really am very reliant on Outlook. I don't use all the functionality of Outlook. I use Outlook the way it works for me, which is the calendar. Mm-hmm. And every single item and every thought that I have, whether it's calling the children's place to get my $10 credit back or uh, you know, making a doctor's appointment or whatever, paying my estimated taxes, like everything that I have to think about is in that calendar. And I have separate calendars for my subcontractors, you know, in the schedule for my executive essentials business, a separate calendar for my kids. Um, And so I can look at them all together, or I can just focus on the work calendar. And um, at the top of the calendar with no deadlines and no flags and nothing is just a list. And every day I look at that list and I move things to a different day so that they don't get lost. Mm -hmm. And if you move something too many times, I think maybe I don't need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's true. It's true. If you keep rewriting the list or moving it from day to day, there might be like you can drop it. Sometimes we think things are high priority and urgent. And when we don't get to them, we realize they're not actually as urgent or as high priority as we thought they were. Yeah. I, I like that. They, so you have a sort of a calendar. I, I'm sort of a list maker myself. I think that that's useful. And you mentioned uh, Contactually and, and uh, Contactually's co-founder is Vband. Uh, he's actually going to be episode 103, which comes out in uh, in July, which is uh, the time that this airs. It'll have just uh, aired like a, a month earlier. So anyone who's listening to this right now um, can check out that episode 103. I mentioned Contactually quite a bit. I, my joke with him was that the first year or so of my show, I talked about Contactually so much that people thought I had a sponsor, <laughs> So, <laughs> um, which he was very happy to hear about that. So um, it was great to have him come on and share about sort of his brainchild that he created to help people think through how to track. I use it actually to track more my like weaker connections. So um, for instance, you just introduced me to somebody who might be a guest on my show who I wanted to get to know um, that you met through your Connectors Club book. Um, and so while I reply, I also send a note to my virtual assistant who puts a little, ex, you know, puts a, a record in the CRM 
so that their meeting request doesn't get lost. So if we don't end up connecting in the next week or so, I'll have a flag to go back and look again. So I've been trying to find like ways to close the open loops because that's what it feels like. All these are opportunities, right? You see, I see the opportunities. I just can't always act on them quickly enough for them to become a thing. And then I think, well, I've met a lot of people who, if I had a different system, maybe maybe they would have like stayed in my world or I would have stayed in their world. Um, so yeah, it's great that you're thinking about that. And for you, it's more about the calendar, the flow, using Outlook in that way. You know, I just keep a list. And usually when I'm on with somebody, I'll say, hey, when do you want to reconnect? And I'll go forward to my calendar six months, a year, and put their name in. And then my calendar will tell me what to do. And I'm often sending emails saying, my calendar told me it was time to check in with you. See, that's <laughs> brilliant. That and That alone is a great takeaway because you're intentional about, one, asking them about the frequency. So you're not making assumptions, but then also having a little tickler, which for you is putting that note, just having their name show up on a random day, six months from now, you know, it's, you know, it's, listen, I go to the dentist and get my teeth cleaned every six months without fail. I mean, yesterday. <laughs> I, right. And I, why do I do that? Because before I leave, I book it and it, I don't know, 99 out of hundred times, the time that I pick works, even though it's six months from now, how do I know what's going to happen six months from now? So I just think what you're doing is almost like putting that sort of note to self out into the future. And then when you do come across it, you take the action to actually reach out to them and you don't like let it languish even longer. And then people respond, right? Because they're like, how thoughtful of you (laughs) to reach out. You're like, well, it was thoughtful, but it was also really my calendar that reminded me. I blame the calendar for everything. (laughs) Because sometimes I, what I try to do is I put a note or the last email or something that I know what to talk to them about. And sometimes I'm like, your name was in my calendar. I don't remember what our follow-up was supposed to be, but I'm saying hello. (laughs) And you see what happens. And sometimes they don't respond and that's okay. Yeah. I use my inbox uh, for a lot of that. Like if your name popped up, I would search my inbox to figure out what the last few conversations were about and when it was and who you were and what we talked about (laughs) and try to hit reply from one of those. Yeah. Just to kind of keep things going. So the next book that I want to write, and I've sort of been working on it slowly this year, just by the questions I've been asking is about the importance of building a professional net, a, a diverse professional network and examples of how people have gone about it. I've had some really um, interesting guests on probably a lot of people who are going to be in your book um, who are very thoughtful about how they build community, um, but that they do it in a way that invites like a wide swath of people, like a very diverse array of, of backgrounds, interests, ideologies, um, you know, race, religion, everything, gender. So I, I, it's a leading question. Why is it important in your words that we work at having a diverse professional network and don't just know CPAs for a CPA? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer this question a little bit more broadly because one of the things I do in the next book, The Connectors Club, is I talk about the spectrum of connectors, that it's not just your connector, you're not, or your super connector, you're not. There's a spectrum and we all live on the spectrum. You, there's very probably few that are truly non-connectors because you are always in some relationships and you're always out there a little bit. And And so the next level is emerging connector, where you're starting to embody some of the mindsets, behaviors, and actions of the connector mindset. Um, And then you are a responsive connector. So you might not be initiating, but you will respond to the requests. It doesn't come naturally to you, but that you you get it when when the opportunity presents itself. Uh, An acting connector might be all somebody needs. An acting connector, somebody who is doing it, they're not, has a huge breadth or depth 
but but they're they're doing it. And although I think to your point, the diversity, whether it's geographic or demographic or um, functional, gives a broader perspective, gives an easier um, access. I talk about faster, easier, better. The results of connectors is that they get the things they're trying to accomplish faster, easier, better. Okay, so that's kind of why. But at the end of the day, if you're an acting connector, good on you. You might be a niche connector or what we call regional. And that's when you know all the CPAs, right? And that might work for you. It might not give you diversity of opinion, and it might not give you access to a broader um, results base, right? So if we're working on something that's outside my niche, you might not have the faster, easier, better result. But within it, you do. And that's okay, too. And then we move to the super connector and then the global super connector. And that's really just about breadth and depth. Yeah. And, and I think what's interesting at that point, the global super connectors, tell me a little bit more about kind of what they're able to do faster, easier, better because of their position in the world. Just about anything, right? Um, so for example, it, you know, I'm probably somewhere on the cusp between a super connector and a global super connector. I do have contacts around the world, but they're not a huge number around the world and not on every continent. I'm working on that. <laughs> um, but on several, uh, probably four to five of the continents, I, I have some connections, but they might not be strong connections. So, uh, you know, if I'm going to Australia, I can contact somebody and ask them for some tips. Uh, I was planning a trip to Russia and I had somebody saying, I can connect you to so-and-so. Um, so little, little things like that can help you both personally as well as professionally. I'm looking for somebody who does investment in this location. Is there anybody there I could talk to? And it might take a little bit longer, but it takes a lot less longer when you at least have somebody to start from. Right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I want to apply this actually to the new podcast that I'm going to be launching because it's it sort of fits with this theme. My new show is about parent founders and that's parents who who invented a product to help them solve a problem they were experiencing as parents. And the reason I'm so fascinated by this group of people is that these are everyday parents. These are like not super connectors, global super connectors. These are generally speaking, just everyday parents facing yeah. everyday challenges who thought, oh, this thing should exist, sketched it out on a napkin, you know, and then somehow figured it out. Figured it out. And I, I have to say, I know a lot of people, but I well, I think the answer is now I'm starting to know who I would reach out to. But like six months ago, if I said, okay, I really wanted to like bring some product to life, I wouldn't have known the first thing of where to start with that. And then of course, now I'm connecting that world and I'm meeting people in that world or the whole world of inventors and products and all that. And now it's like interesting. Like, there's such a piece to that of like a, a strength of willing to like persevere, to keep asking. Like you're going on a trip to Russia. You've got to be willing to even ask for help. And you got to start thinking, well, who are the people that are adjacent to the people that might know? Who might I ask that won't be like, rush? I have no idea. You know, like, <laughs> you know, because that will like deflate your ego right away, like for even attempting to put yourself out there. But you have to start to like pull at the strings of the people that might be able to say, oh, I don't really know exactly, but here's someone who might. And they pay it forward and pass you to the next person. And it's interesting when you said um, deflate ego. I never think of it that way. You know, I put it out there. And so, you know, I, I, I have a group of speakers and we'll put something out there and sometimes it gets no response. 
And sometimes you put something out there and I, you get an abundance of response. I, I, I think I put a, um, a question out there about who can I hire to help me uh, with PR or a book launch. And I got an abundant number of responses. And it, you know, it has to occur to you that people can help you. Yes. And so sometimes just saying, hey, here's what I'm working on. Uh, has anybody had the same experience? And then all yeah, of a sudden yeah. you're like, oh my God, I'm not alone. Yeah. Yeah. I think the deflated ego piece is if you're not used to doing the ask, you may not be willing to keep doing it. But you're right. If you get into the habit of, of revealing what you're working on, because I actually think it works the second way, which is now people are invested in the success of that project. They're like, oh, Michelle's working on another book. I helped by like suggesting a name for the person who might, you know, I helped pick a cover. I helped pick the subtitle. Like, all those little things. I think My a lot audience of, did help me pick the cover. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people when writing a book or launching a podcast or doing anything like that, they do it sort of in isolation. And then it's like, ta-da, here is the outcome. Market, please buy it. Please opt in. Please subscribe. But you're, you know, revealing that actually by asking for that assistance, you're engaging your community, right? That's what we talked about. Having the willingness to engage with your community is going to help you like move move that forward in a more successful manner. So it is a, it's a bit of a habit. So when I work with my clients in these, in a, these 90-day sprints, I ask them right away, their homework is that twice a week, they're going to have some kind of touch point with people in their network. And they get to define what that is. It could be coffee. It could be a phone call. It could be an email. It could be like writing a, a podcast review, hints to all the people listening. Um, <laughs> You know, whatever it is, but that or part of it's like review. a book <laughs> review, hints for Michelle, that it's just a habit that you get into so that at some point it's not a like calendar reminder to do it. Like at some point you just, you see that people are doing something and you're going to immediately think, oh, let me just send them a quick note acknowledging that. You know, how many of us have the LinkedIn updates saying so-and-so got a new job and we click the like button and think, yay, I did it. It's like, what if I, you texted I will them? I click the button and I will change the message. Yes, change it the message. 10 seconds. Right, even that. Not like congratulations on your new job or whatever it already says generically. Like, right, sending them a thoughtful note, texting them if you have their phone number, sending them an email if you have their email, like, Little things like that, because you know the birthday greetings thing. You know, I don't notice how many people, or I don't notice who exactly wrote me a note on Facebook. I notice the number, but I remember the people who sent me a, a more private message. Right? It's, I have to say, I do go and scan to see names, and if they put a comment, actually commenting something back, because those are the light touches we're talking about. Yes. Keeps yeah. you, you know, hey, she noticed me. He noticed me, you know. And it's 10 seconds. Like you said, it's like 10 seconds. 10 seconds. So I love this. So my my um my favorite sort of wrap-up question here is if we're to connect a year from now, and I hope you put me on your calendar for for, for sooner than that. But let's say <laughs> we're checking in a year from now, Michelle, and you're telling me what an amazing year you just had. I want to know what are we celebrating? That the Connectors Club is a bestseller, of course. <laughs> that's awesome and what what are you building from that is there like a a thing that comes from the, having the book out in the world uh the truth is it's just more opportunity to spread the message to spread the teaching i'll be doing more speaking uh, i'm still doing training i'm actually having a meeting with a university and a, an institute to create a potential live uh kind of mba type program Ooh. 
Um, so, you know, a couple of things are in the works, but that's very young and new. Um, so really in the next year, you will see my new website come out. You will see my new um, website for Executive Essentials, which is my corporate arm, come out as well. Um, I will have a new speaker reel. I have a new speaker packet. So all of those things are in place. I'm working with a, um, a speaker agency so that I can get this message to more people and have more impact. And where can people find you and follow your work, Michelle? The best place to start is michelletillisletterman.com, and I will spell it, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-T-I-L-L-I-S-L-E-D-E-R-M-A-N. There's a lot of L's in my name. (laughs) .com, and from there, you can get to my YouTube channel. I I put little success shorty videos out. Um, You can get to my blog, which is weekly. You can get to my LinkedIn, my professional Facebook, not my personal one, uh, my Twitter Um, so lots of ways to get and connect with me there. I also give away some free chapters of the book, a networking assessment, an interview prep checklist, lots of free goodies. And all you have to do is go to that website slash gift pack and you can get all those fun downloads. Awesome. So I'll put this in the show notes. So if people go to michelletillisletterman.com slash gift pack, and I'll have that link in the show notes, you're going to get all those fantastic uh, giveaways. And you'll also be able to connect then uh, through the show notes to her Twitter or LinkedIn or professional Facebook page uh, to her YouTube channel. I captured all of that in the notes just now. Um, So you'll find that all at onthechmooze.com. Michelle, thank you so much and much success to you in this launch of this new book. I can't wait to get my hands on it. And thank you for including me in it. Um, I'm not just saying I thought it was going to be a great concept because I'm in it, Um, but I think it is going to be a great concept that we all need to read about and learn from. So thank you for sharing that with the world, Michelle. So excited that you're a part of it. And thank you for having me on the show. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Michelle. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 107 which is also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode with Michelle, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.